MindSpark Podcast, your podcast to inspire change. Welcome to today's episode. I'm here with Michael Leetham, and here are some more words about Michael. So Michael Leetham brings a new angle to leadership development and talent management, leveraging his catch and release model of leadership. He incorporates well-being, nature, and fly fishing into the customized leadership experiences he creates for organizations. Welcome, Michael. Great to have you here. Yes, I'm so happy that we're doing this today. Thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. Welcome, welcome. I'm looking forward to the great insights you will share with us. Absolutely. That was a lovely intro that you, you gave me. I have all kinds of stories and experiences and things that I'm excited to share And I just appreciate, again, you inviting me on here today. So you let me know where we want to dive in and I will uh, share my perspective. Yeah. So let's get directly started. Let's dive deep. We're talking leadership development. So you have worked with a lot of corporations and leaders around the world. Did you see any patterns, any common themes that need to be addressed? Ooh, this is a deep question right off the bat. <laughs> uh, leadership development, you know, it's, it's one of those spaces that everyone kind of has a perspective and has different experiences with. I've been fortunate throughout my career to see a lot of different organizations, a lot of different cultures and leadership styles. When it comes to patterns, you know, I wish that I could say that there is a, a distinct pattern that I see that, you know, most organizations really struggle with this or really struggle with that, or they're really exceptional at this. But it's actually, it's kind of a mixed bag in my experience. I've seen some leaders like really thrive who maybe don't have the traditional background that you would think. I've seen other leaders who hold very high titles who I go, yikes, what are you doing from a leadership perspective? You know, the way that you're communicating, the culture that you're, you're driving. So it's been kind of random. There are, of course, unique challenges that leaders face in today's world. You know, it, it is a difficult time to lead. But when it comes to patterns, there are a lot of individual differences that I see, which makes my job so fun being a leadership coach and consultant, because it's really trying to unlock the unique puzzle for that leader specifically. Awesome. Awesome. Let's maybe tackle it from a different angle. What are the top three leadership qualities that you would say are necessary to be successful in a modern world or in a very disruptive VUCA world? Ooh, I love this question. Um, okay. Top three. It's tricky to pick just three, but I think the first one has got to be listening. It's got to be slowing your mind down, being present and listening better. And I think a lot of times in leadership, listening is an underrated skill because we think of leadership as someone giving a fiery speech, someone rallying the troops to go into action. And of course, they're very times, extroverted. Yes, yeah. very extroverted and charismatic, which of course has its, its role at certain times within leadership, but pausing and listening and not just listening in the way that we think in terms of listening to others as they communicate back to us, listening to ourselves. What's going on right now in my world? What's going on in my body? What's going on in my mind and my thoughts and the patterns and being more intentional and mindful. So listening, pausing, reflecting, and listening, I think are, are really key. Um, a couple of other ones. I think empathy is always really crucial when you think about emotional intelligence. I think every person has a unique story. Um, everyone is different. And if I can really empathize with you and understand you better, 
I'm going to be able to lead you better. And then the last one, if I had to, to narrow it down to just three, I really think storytelling is, is crucial. Um, there was this article that was on HBR and it was talking about how the art of persuasion hasn't changed in 2000 mm. years. Yeah, Aristotle was <laughs> dropping some awesome wisdom back in the day. And actually some of the Greek philosophers or some of the Greek politicians rather were saying, don't tell our secrets. And many of the things <laughs> that were coming up were, you know, your credibility, the ethos. It was your ability to connect emotionally with people using metaphors, uh, being brief, getting to the point. And all of those pieces of telling a really good story are important for leaders. You can't just go to people and say, I need you to do X, get it done. Why didn't you get it done? You got to draw some stories, some experience and add some color. And that will really help the way that you can lead people. Exactly. And maybe also connected to a strong common vision. Yeah, for sure. The common vision. And I think just by nature, you know, even through the evolutionary process, we are people that love to listen and tell stories. That's how history has been passed on for so many years before people could even start writing things down. It was all through stories. So there's something innately in our brain that I think stories really connect with humans. Absolutely. It's also how we better remember things. Yes, for sure. So back to your question, uh, the listening, pausing on all fronts, listening to yourself, listening to other people, um, the storytelling, and then the empathy piece. Those three is what I would say. And I could go on with like 10 more, but I'll, I'll pause there. Awesome. Actually, I'm curious to hear them more, but let's keep them for our next episode, for our next conversation. I really like that you mentioned listening, not only listening to your environment, but also listening to yourself. I've seen some leaders do that very well, but I've seen others that might say, why should I listen to myself? The people should do how I tell them. How, what would you suggest to get started if you want to start listening to yourself as a leader? Because I think it can be quite overwhelming when you start the process. Mm, a couple of methods. The first one would be meditation. Mm -hmm. I really think stillness and quiet. I mean, you just be amazed at the random thoughts that come into your mind and the stories that you continue to tell yourself. So stillness and meditation would be the first one. And then I think the second one, which may be more painful for people, but recording yourself and listening to the way that you showed up during a presentation, maybe during a podcast. And I know a lot of times we don't like hearing our own voice, but hmm. you can see and what you're effective at. You can see what maybe you're not so great at, but really listening to yourself, not being critical and judgmental of yourself, because we all kind of innately do that, but saying, if I was someone who had never listened to myself before, and I was sitting here listening to me for the first time, what would my takeaway be? Would I be engaged? So those two things. It's a I great think, exercise. You know, it is. It's painful. Like I said, but get over your own ego, get over yourself, listen to yourself and find ways to improve, but also give yourself credit wow, you know, I showed up and actually did a pretty good job during that presentation or what have you. Awesome. I think that's a great piece of advice. Nice. On the other hand, are there any things that you have noticed that team members or employees are craving in a great and inspiring leader? I think it's a lot of the things that I said But I think what I've been hearing a lot from organizations, and this actually dovetails nicely with the work that my wife, Alicia, does, well-being, 
and mental health and being real with people, authenticity and vulnerability coming out of COVID. I think we've stripped some of the corporate facade away yeah. and people can be a little more real with one another and say, you know what? I'm not okay today. I'm, I'm not having a very good day. It's not to make excuses with your work. Of course, high expectations, high performance will always be expected in organizations. But if I, as a leader can recognize when someone on my team is not having a great day, maybe I can adapt my message. I can adapt their workload. I can listen to them. So that also takes you as a leader taking time to prioritize and, and role model those things yourself. Maybe taking a mental health day, understanding when you are feeling good, when you're not feeling good, and then being able to recognize that within your team. So that's one thing that we've been hearing a lot about from different organizations and trying to go to market with different service offerings to help companies with. Absolutely, absolutely. And I like the point that you mentioned about the leader having to role model and display these behaviors. Because it doesn't help if you as a leader speak about it and then behave differently yourself, because the team will, of course, take inspiration from your actions and not your speeches if the, action don't, if the actions don't match. That's spot on. I actually was uh, engaging in a, an executive coaching conversation earlier this week, and it was with a, a senior sales leader. And I, I asked him at the start of the call, I always check in, how you doing personally, how you doing professionally before we dive into our agenda? And he said, you know, I'm okay. And I said, well, tell me what's going on. You know, that takes courage to be honest that you're, you're okay, but there's something going on here. He goes, yeah, I actually was talking to my team um, earlier this week about someone asked me how I was doing and, you know, I, I'm not doing great. He's, he's dealing with some things. He's got some, some medical issues. He's got some family issues. Um, but for him to actually have the courage and vulnerability to, to say that uh, meant a lot. His team listened, they rallied behind him, they wanted to help support him, but it would have been so easy to just go about his day like we normally, all of us do. I'm fine, I'll push through, suck it up, keep going. Granted, you have to have a level of perseverance, of course, we all have to be resilient. But I think being open and honest and acknowledging when you're maybe not okay or not having a good day and letting your team know that and also then being receptive when they are able to share that just helps us all understand one another better. Yeah, definitely. I, I can very much relate because I always thought, you know, especially as a female leader, that I need to be stronger or persevere a bit more. And I did have the situation that I just couldn't handle health-wise and also workload-wise everything that was going on. So I had to, I was forced to take a step back. And I was so surprised how my team picked up everything that was there to do. So in the end, I thought, oh, actually I can be vulnerable and say, sorry, I need a break and nothing happens because there is enough people that are supportive around. So I think this was a huge learning experience for me. I'm like, okay, actually it's nice to be not okay because it opens the room for completely different conversations. Spot on, Kira. Spot on. I mean, it's important. Everyone is replaceable. <laughs> Unfortunately, we, we all think that we're very special <laughs> and, and we do show up and bring unique value, but everyone is replaceable. And I think that it's important for organizations to have multiple people to be able to step in. So if people are going to be more open and honest of when they need to do something in their own personal life to make sure that, that they're okay, that there are other team members who you can upscale and get them up to speed. That just helps make the organization stronger in general. Definitely. 
Awesome. Let's talk a bit about talent management consulting. So that's also an area that you work in. What is your take on the newest trends of like new work, the millennial generation, maybe even Gen C and all the changes in the workplace that are taking place? Good question. This is, I love talent management because I mean, it's just, man, the state of talent over the last decade at least has been very interesting to look at trends with generational differences, as, as you've mentioned, with baby boomers retiring, succession planning, the leadership gap, all of that. You have millennials and Gen Zs. Of course, there's Gen X, and I feel like they always get forgotten about, but we, we won't <laughs> forget you, Gen X. We, we see you there waiting in the wings to take over those leadership roles, too. Um, man, the supply and demand for talent, like it was before COVID. I remember I was working as a consultant at, at KPMG. And uh, employee experience and employee value proposition were some big topics that we were discussing. And, you know, we were saying employees have the upper hand right now. They can go to market and say, what are you doing for me, employer? You know, what's so different about you? What are you offering in terms of my career development or well-being, my leadership responsibilities, et cetera? And then COVID happened. And it was like all of that got, you know, exponentially increased, if you will, and here we are in this unique time with, with supply changes and uncertainty and still this, this war for talent that you, the best companies want the best people and how do you get them? And it's not just throwing more money at people. That, of course, helps. You do need to pay your workers well, but you got to find purpose-filled work. You need to offer career development. And that's one area that I will kind of double down here on, career pathing in particular, has been a hot topic that I've been seeing come up in a lot of the organizations that I'm working with is understanding better what the types of, yes, the traditional career paths vertically, maybe within a function, but also laterally. If we know mm -hmm. that younger generations want more exposure, they want new skills, they need things. I mean, we live in a world now where people are on TikTok and Instagram and like holding attention, like everything seems like it's getting consolidated, right? So even people's careers and how long they're going to be willing to stay in a role, if they're not feeling invigorated and liking what they're doing every year or two years, they're going to be looking to move. So how can you as a company stay ahead of that by saying, We have multiple career paths for you. We see potential, a growth mindset in you. You can stay in your function and role and maybe work your way up. But if that's not for you, what about some of these other opportunities? They might be a good match for you. And it also helps the company because what we were just talking about with upskilling and making sure you have a wide variety of skill sets covered within your employee base, uh, career pathing is, is a great way to do that. So That's definitely one. I'll pause there because I'm sure you have some comments and thoughts, but there, there are many. I'm passionate about talent management. I, I love it. I think it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, I fully agree because what I've seen in my environment and heard from some customers, it's definitely how do I keep the talent and how do, do I create an environment where they want to stay, where they're engaged, where they feel safe, where they feel also happy at work, where they're inspired and create innovation. And Yeah, I think it really comes down to how you manage the career path in an organization, because I've also seen the how not to situations where you try to keep your people in the role, where you try to create roadblocks for them. But I think now in this current environment and market, people will just leave and say, sorry, I know my worth. I know there, the grass might be greener there. I just try it, which is a very exciting time because I've also noticed a shift 
how when I started to join the workforce where everything was like, people in consulting were asking you about your grade in math, like how come the grade was so low? And I thought, come on, it's like six years ago. Why would you even bother? Exactly. Stuff like that. In the end, I didn't take the job because already back then I thought, no, I think that's not the correct behavior. But I think now these behaviors are not acceptable anymore, especially not for a younger generation. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's about companies getting real with themselves and understanding that maybe in the past, the goal was to retain talent for 20 years, right? Like we're going to get someone in the door and maybe they come and they stay for a long time, but that's just not the case anymore. So can you be okay with, yes, trying to retain as much talent as you can, but offering maybe exit ramps for people and understanding that maybe someone's just going to stay for two or three years, but how can you make it as valuable uh, for them and also for yourself and be okay with, with them leaving? And also, how can you maybe give them some more entrepreneurial skills within their roles? I think that's another thing that can keep younger generations in particular engaged in their roles by allowing them to have the creativity to bring new ideas to the organization. And then maybe that person goes and they start their own business and good for them if they have that drive. They were able to provide something to the company, gain some good skill sets, and you were able to make a positive impact on them. So I know that that seems like blasphemy to say, what do you mean you're going to bring people in and then you're just going to say, you know, stay here for a few years and, and go away. But that's just the reality of it. So you can keep fighting the old fight as a company and trying to retain your people for 10, 20, 30 years, but you're ultimately going to fail if that's your strategy. You need to have multiple approaches to your talent retention strategies. I love that. And I also love the mindset behind it because think about the connection or the relationship that you build with someone who has the space in the organization to be an entrepreneur, but then at some point decides to found their own company, they will always, if you leave, if you support them to do so, they will always be your biggest ally and you don't know how big the company will get, which business or cross-selling you can do through that. I had a conversation with a leader some time ago and the person told me, look, listen, if we don't find a role for you where you can use all your skills, where you feel happy after the end of your day, my network is your network, then just, you know, leave and I find you wherever a good place. And I was like, wow, this is actually how it should be. That it's more about the skill set, about the impact that you have and not about, okay, this is a role that I have left that let me squeeze that person into this role, even though it's not a good fit. Because like this, it's a lose-lose situation for everyone involved. Exactly. Well said. Yeah. I think even from my own experience working for a couple of different consulting firms, I have recommended and supplied people who are looking for positions, talented individuals to them, because in my small business, you know, I do have a small team right now, four or five people, but I'm just not at a position that I can hire on 10 people, 20 people yet. That'll come, you know, with growth and in time. And I'm trying to play the long <laughs> That's game. That's the here. right mindset. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's all about the long game, right? Like I, I want to do what I'm doing right now for the next 20 or 30 years. So just take everything in stride. With that being said, I had someone reach out to me on LinkedIn last week and said, hey, we chatted a few years back at a conference. Do you still have some connections at your old company? And I said, yeah, shoot me a resume. And so now I'm a pipeline, a conduit to my old consulting firms and still giving them talented individuals. They helped me. I gained a lot of skills while I was there. And so it, again, can be a win-win as long as you maintain good relationships when you leave an organization. They wish you well, you wish them well, and you keep you know, all those doors open. Awesome. Yeah. I like that. 
open doors, I guess it's very, very important because the future is also about networking. Yeah. And being connected. Good. Let's shift gears and talk about leadership retreats. Do you want to tell us a bit more about developing leaders through catch and release and what was the idea behind? Because you have a yeah. very exciting business model. Oh, I love that. Yes. Um, thank you. Thank you for uh, finding it exciting because sometimes I'm like, am I crazy for coming up with this idea? But I don't <laughs> see anyone else doing it and it is my passion. So that's what life is about. It's taking some risk and, and finding your own way to, to talk about leadership or whatever you're passionate about. And so, you're absolutely role modeling, following your passion. I've been following you over the last years and it's amazing. I, I appreciate that. I really, really do. Um, we have some great momentum going and, you know, it might not be for everyone and that's okay. There's a lot of great leadership content out there. If you're hungry for leadership, there are plenty of books and courses and things to take. I just need to find my little slice of the pie and find my, my people that I that I jive with. Um, so catch and release, it was something that was on my mind for probably over 10 years, just as kind of an idea, getting people outside and connecting the dots. We we're talking about metaphors and storytelling. Nature, I think, is the best teacher there is. I mean, any concept you want to learn in life, you can find out in nature if you're willing to look for it. And the natural world is just so beautiful. And we're part of the natural world, even though we're, you know, somewhat isolated in our four walls in our office or whatever, like we still are part of this planet and of this world. So for me, it was like, how do I tie leadership development, psychological terms, and then my passion for the outdoors and fishing together? So I came up with this catch and release model and I'll go through it and give you kind of the, the skinny or the, the summary of it. The first step stands for cast your line. And this is really the fundamentals of leadership. It's walking down the dock at the lake and throwing your fishing pole out there and, and your lure. And at first, you're not going to probably be very good, just like at leadership. You're probably yeah. going to make some mistakes. You'll snag. You might catch a hook in your hand and, and that hurts. You learn not to do that again. But let's face it. Leadership is not something that most people roll out of bed and they're just great at. It's something that requires a lot of practice, time, and experience. So the first step, cast your line, is all about learning yourself. What are your strengths, what are your development areas? What are the fundamentals of leadership? Get some of the kinks out before you start leading a boat of other people that you'll be kind of captaining. So the second step there is attract diverse anglers. Now you're leaving the dock, you have a little rowboat or, or what have you. Who are you putting in that boat with you on your leadership journey? And sometimes in life, our coworkers, we don't necessarily get to always pick, but there are people who we do get to decide who we spend time with, you know, friends on the weekend, maybe, or coworkers that you want to get a cup of coffee with. And the whole point of step two here, the A in, in catch and release is attract diverse anglers. I use anglers, which mm. is another, another word for fishermen at synonymous with leaders. So put people in your boat who are anglers. They want to lead. They're, they have a growth mindset. They're passionate, but they're also different than you. They provide different perspectives. They'll challenge you in a good way. Keep your biases in check. Maybe politically, they speak differently than you, or maybe you know on a, on a spiritual or religious level, they're differently. They have different experiences. And that is just going to help keep you curious about the world and challenging yourself and helping you learn and grow. So that's what step two is attract diverse anglers. Then we move on to step three, and that stands for tie their knot. It's not enough mm -hmm. as a leader to just yeah. surround yourself with the people you want. You got to be willing to put your own pole down to tie someone else's knot. And that can mm -hmm. cause cognitive dissonance because I'm used to catching fish, casting my own way. I want to just go and get the results or whatever that is for you and your company. 
but are you okay? We've all been there. It's when that coworker uh, emails you and says, Hey, can you show me how to do this thing? And you say, I don't want to show them just send it my way. I'll do it in five minutes and get it done. But then you can't scale as an organization and they never learn what they need to learn. So great leaders spend time tying people's knots within the organization, building those relationships. It's it's really nice. It actually reminds me of the quote, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together or in a group, not sure how they Yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And you'll you'll hit your own plateau as a leader if you don't at some point tie some people's knots below you because you're only one person. You can only do so much unless you have a team of individuals with different skill sets helping you as well. But sometimes leaders, even good ones, will stop there and say, all right, I tied people's knots. I got them started. Now sink or swim, figure it out your own. That's what I had to do. You're going to be fine. But that's not great leadership. Great leadership is part of the fourth step, which is coach their cast. And this is the need to improve your own coaching skills. Coaching is so important to leadership. And I'm not talking about that you have to be an executive coach per se to be a great leader, but you do need to show coaching behaviors as a leader and provide really good feedback and still ownership in people. And the key word here on the fourth step is coach their cast. You're not coaching your own cast. (laughs) I need to learn, Kiara, what's best about you. What type of fish are you most successful at catching? You know, is it a side cast for you? Are you a good communicator? Are you a whatever? And then I'm going to coach your unique skill sets up. If I'm doing a good job as a leader, I'm coaching your cast to be successful. Then we get to the fifth. Yeah, thanks. It it also connects to the listening skills. Yeah, it's the listening. It's the feedback. It's it's all of it. Being being an observer. That's actually. I won't go on too much of an aside here because I love steps five and six, but I think one thing that I tell every leader I work with, and especially at the workshops and the leadership retreats that I'm going to get to here, I promise, being a better observer. Everyone wants to be a a great coach and they want to maybe support people. And they think that's, I got to go give feedback. I got to go rally or put accountability into them. Pause again listen and observe what's really going on here. And in fishing, it's pausing and saying, are there bugs flying in the air? What's the water doing? What temperature is the sun out or the clouds out? If you can take clues and be a better observer, now you're going to be able to lead or coach people or catch fish better. So observation is such an important skill in leadership and it requires you to pause and really observe the key behaviors and people that can make a difference. So Steps five and six, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about this stuff. Yeah, I love seeing or hearing you talk so passionately about the topic. Awesome. Well, I get to I get to talk about leadership and fishing together. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. Five, the H in catch stands for honor their catch. Honor the fish that the people catch in your boat with you. You've spent all of this time as a leader getting the kinks out, casting your line, attracting diverse anglers, tying their knot, coaching them. And lo and behold, these people start catching bigger fish than you. Are you okay with that as a leader? Or does it trigger your ego? And you say, Uh wait a second, they wouldn't be here if I didn't tie their knot. They wouldn't be here. No, you don't do that if you're a great leader. You say, good job. You did it. I'm going to honor and celebrate you. And I'm happy for you. This isn't about me. This is about you. That's what great leaders do, especially in the age that we live in with social media. It's easy to get triggered by other people's successes. Great leaders don't do that. They show humility and they recognize and learn from others, even if that those people are below them, you know, on an organizational chart. And then the last step, 
is the release. So in fishing, catch and release is a, a big concept for sustainability. You catch a fish, you enjoy that fish, you know, maybe you take a picture with it, you put it back in the water, you let it swim away and release. And a lot of people say, why would you do that? Why aren't you eating all the fish that you catch? Because <laughs> you want to promote that fish for maybe someone else to go to go catch and enjoy that same experience at that moment. Or you want that fish to go back and and spawn and, and reproduce, you know, good genetics within the pool. So you're learning how to let go of something that you just caught and releasing. So in the concepts of, or in the context of leadership, the release is self-reflection, self-forgiveness, being mindful, learning how to unlearn. We spend all of our life learning how to learn. How do you cut the cord and learn how to unlearn the things that don't serve you anymore too? And then you can spend that off into well-being and taking care of yourself and all of that stuff that doesn't typically get brought up in courses, but it's really imperative for leaders to prioritize. Awesome. That's, it's a really powerful framework, Michael. Awesome. Yeah. So I don't even probably need to really mention you, you asked about the retreats, obviously as a leadership coach, I can do all sorts of different leadership group coaching activities and talking about your goals and challenges and how to help people out from a psychological standpoint. But I think, like I said, nature's the best teacher. How can I set the stage with this beautiful landscape somewhere out in nature, far away from the office and teach people how to fly fish, teach people a few lessons about their natural environment, and then have them connect the dots. What did that teach you on the water today about yourself? Did you get frustrated when you missed the fish? Was it hard to tie a few knots? You didn't practice enough, whatever it is. Or when you caught the big fish, you know, it was exciting, but how did it make the other people feel? You know, were you showing off, rubbing in it? Like whatever it might be, there's so many things that we compare and it's a very memorable experience. They can go back to the office. They have a picture holding up this beautiful fish. They feel refreshed, rejuvenated. They've learned a few mindfulness techniques and tools. I think it's just actually a kind of a no brainer for companies to be thinking about offering something like this to their employees to promote their mental health, but also their leadership skills. I think it's awesome because there's so many situations that mirror stuff that is happening in the office, but in a fun, playful way, you know, someone catches the fish, you're not, maybe you're upset, slightly jealous. <laughs> Then yeah. you say, oh, actually the fish wasn't that big. Yeah, exactly. That's the, <laughs> you know? human, the human side of us, right? Then we start comparing. We say, we make it a competition. How many did you catch? I didn't catch enough. And the funny thing is, it's not even about catching the fish. It's about the process. It's about all the things that I was talking about earlier, the stillness, the trying to figure out the puzzle, being open to trying new lures. If something's not working for 10 minutes, will you tie on something new, try a different spot, or are you going to be stubborn and stay in the same spot? You know, think about the parallels <laughs> in our own life with, with yeah. that. So yeah, it's, it's just about getting people out of their, their comfort zone and then learning some new skills. And I think fishing across all cultures, you know, It's something that's a common bond. It, you don't have to be the biggest, the fastest, and the strongest to be a great fisherman or fisherwoman. You just need to have patience, have the right technique, the right touch. And um, anyone can do that. It can be a little kid. It can be an older person. It's kind of a universal hobby to enjoy. Yeah. And I guess it's so far off from the office situation that you get more sensible about dynamics. You understand a bit more what's going on. And I, I think maybe then some things are obvious that you would never observe in the office because it's just a used environment. And, you know, it's amazing the way that you can see your coworkers in a new light when you get them 
into a different setting. And if you go on a retreat like this, and a lot of times when I go on retreats too, or I lead the retreats, um, I have mixed people. So different companies will send different leaders. So then they can learn from each other from different industries and get different perspectives. Oh, that's the way you do it over here. And those are some of the challenges. And then sometimes it can make them actually think, oh, maybe my company's not as bad as I thought because I'm hearing some of the challenges <laughs> other people are dealing with. So there's just yeah. all kinds of learning from a leadership and a, a nature. And yeah, I don't know. It's It's really, really cool. I'm starting to get a lot of progress and traction and people being open to it at first on the the surface level people go what are you talking about you're going on a fishing retreat with leaders you know but then when they start thinking about the skills and they really start diving into all of the challenges leaders are facing and the need for wellness and mindfulness being out in nature unplugging learning and self-discovery and all of that stuff they're like okay i get it it makes sense awesome and also increasing well-being which is actually also a key ingredient to achieve a high-performing team. Do you have any advice how I, as a leader, can positively influence the well-being of my team? Yeah, there's a great book, actually, my wife just wrote called The Six Gold <laughs> Keys to Well-Being. You should go purchase it on Amazon. It's um, I, I read it. I was one of her reviewers, and she has a ton of awesome information. And it's not just the stuff that you think, like, you know, I need to eat better. I need to sleep. Of course, you need to do those things and take care of it. But she has a lot of new hacks and, and tactics and things that for our world and the pace that we live in right now can really help um, people. But to answer your question, I think you have to role model it first as a leader and you have to prioritize well-being. I mean, oh, it's no. so I have to do some work, Michael. Don't tell me that. <laughs> we all do. I, I'm a work in progress, but it's amazing when you see when you see results, right? When you focus, what you focus on grows. We hear that all the time, right? And if you go into it with the attitude that I'm not a health nut or this is going to suck, I don't like eating salads and like, you're going to get <laughs> what you think out of it, right? But if you start focusing on how and being intentional, how do I want to feel? You know, what is the best version of myself? And you start thinking about, you know, wow, when I feel well-rested, I can actually get more done in my day. It actually takes me less time to get things done. When I feel better physically in my body, I'm more pleasant to be around. My team likes me. I can Absolutely. laugh. I can, yeah, I can joke around and, and I'm positive. I'm creating, you know, this positive culture where I'm contributing to it. And then you think about the opposite end of that when you're not, when you're tired, groggy, not feeling good, dealing, you know, under the weather, whatever, like everything else suffers. So I think first and foremost, it's about role modeling some well-being um, behaviors yourself as a leader. You don't have to all of a sudden start preparing for a marathon and doing something that's like so out there, like make small changes, give yourself credit. And then when your team members are doing things that are, you know, promoting their own well-being or the team's well-being, positively, positively reinforce that. Say, oh, I see what you're doing there. I like that. You know, you, you're drinking more water or you're eating healthy today or you're working out. Tell me more about that. You just went to a yoga. What, what type of yoga are you doing? Whatever it is, you have to care as a leader. The work is going to get done, but we all need to like live and thrive and have longevity or else what's the point? We're just working hard to then someday die. Like that's not a good model for us as humans to drive yeah. ourselves into the ground. So doesn't sound exciting to someone no. belonging to the millennial generation. Definitely not. No, exactly. <laughs> so you get it. I could go on and on, but you get it. Awesome. Awesome. I, I have another question about 
taking the leap when you left the corporate environment to follow your passion. We heard a lot about it. And I think it's a very powerful message and also program that you have developed. What is your biggest learning on this journey? You're asking very great questions. That's a sign of like a great consultant is someone who can ask like awesome questions. But you answered Um, them very well. I'm trying. I'm trying. Um, Okay. The greatest learning... You know, when I look back at it, there was a big shift early on in my career, a paradigm shift, where I realized and kind of saw where my life was going. And it was okay. I could probably have been okay. pretty happy. Yeah, it was it was okay, right? It was I could have been complacent. I would have been comfortable. Good enough. Good enough, right? Good enough. And that's not always horrible, but I said, you know what, I can either let life happen to me or I'm going to start choosing what I want for my own life and grab life by the horns and say, this is my decision. This is my risk. I'm going to take it. I'll own the results. If I'm successful in this adventure, that's great. If I'm not, that's okay too. I'll I'll learn and I'll take ownership of it, but it's going to be on my terms. I'm not going to wake up someday an old, bitter, grumpy man and say, well, man, that wasn't the way I wanted to be, or this company didn't treat me well for 20 years, or I'm not, no, this is on me. So that required me taking some some big, bold moves, moving out west to California, eventually starting a business, writing a book. But looking back, I wouldn't want it any other way. Truly, awesome. grab life by the horns. That's my piece of advice for you. Make the bold decisions. Do them now. Learn from them. I'm not saying to be impulsive, but I'm also saying that life is short and you don't want to wake up one day with resentment or guilt or shame. Like, Go live your life. You have unique skills. Take the big, bold risk. And I promise you, it's not going to be as scary as your mind is telling you right now. And this is like a mic drop situation. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, Yeah, it's basically taking ownership of your own life because we, we can all decide what we want to or how we want to spend it. And you have things competing for your attention all the time. You have distractions on your phone. What's important? Are you going to go scroll mindlessly on Facebook or Instagram tonight again for another 30 minutes, 60 minutes? It doesn't make you feel good. Are you going to go keep working that job? Well, it gives me a paycheck each time, but it doesn't make you feel good. You're not fulfilled. At some point, it's not on them being the bad guys. It's on you because you didn't actually take ownership for yourself. So I just love when people have the courage to like I said, grab life by the horns or make bold decisions and go forward knowing that, yes, there's a risk, but I think the bigger risk is waking up miserable when you're old and think that you wasted your life. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Awesome. This leads us to my last point. My last question that I have for you. So we spoke about ownership, grabbing life by its horns, taking action. And I believe that change only comes from action. So therefore, what is the greatest advice or learning that you can share with our listeners that they can practice straight away? So it can be a quote, a daily practice, whatever is the secret sauce that helps you succeed in your life. And that also would help the listeners to be to become a better version of themselves or also increase their impact. Yeah, I have two. Um, the first one, yeah, the first one is a nice segue from what we were just talking about and it's dream big, do it now. And Mm -hmm. you got to really take that inner work to say, what do I want in my life? What are my dreams? 
And you'll have insecurities. You'll have to say, whoa, what, what are my family members going to think? But like, you know, deep down inside what your dreams are. Dream big and start taking action now. It doesn't have to be that you chew everything off tomorrow, but take little steps and you'll be surprised how quickly you can start manifesting that dream. Um, the, the second one is one that comes from the Tao Te Ching. And it's, if you care what people think, you'll be a prisoner to their thoughts your whole life. Oh, wow. So that's, again, when you think about playing it safe, ooh, I don't want to do that. What are people going to think on, on LinkedIn or what, what are my coworkers going to think? You, you're basically creating your own little prison your whole life that you're only going to play in this box because other people have created what's in the box and outside the box. So don't let them have that power. Take your life back, right? It doesn't matter. I'm, yeah. not saying, I'm not saying that you never have to take other people's thoughts or opinions or feedback into context. Of course you do. But when it comes to your life and your dreams and your goals, quiet the outside noise and listen to what's in here. Pause, reflect, and listen, like we said at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I could sign everything that you just said. And one indicator for me that I'm off track with my own path is usually when I sense that I get upset or slightly jealous with other people's achievement because this shows me I'm not doing enough of the things that actually really fulfill me. Because if mm. I'm busy building my dream life, then I don't even care, you know? But whenever yeah. I have the feeling like, oh, what's going on left and right? I'm like, actually, where's my path? Let me go back to my path. Kira, that's a, a beautiful point. Whenever you are triggered by anything in your life, it's a piece of the puzzle for you to still figure out and heal. So why? It's easy to point the finger at what they're doing over there, what's wrong with the world, whatever. But if it's starting to boil something up inside of you, maybe there's a wound there or something that you still need to work on yourself. Because to your point, if you're living a fulfilled life, you're following your dreams, you're making an impact, you're making a difference, all those things. It's like there aren't a whole lot of things outside of that that can really get you off course. It's when you start to deviate and let your ego and everything else kind of get in the way that you get off course. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. It was a pleasure. I feel very inspired and calm now. Good. I hope you also I, had a fun time sharing all your insights. I'm sure we all learned a lot. I appreciate the opportunity to talk. Obviously, I'm, I'm passionate about it and I'd love to talk about it. I love people at the end of the day. I think that's one thing that most leaders share in common is, is a natural love for people. So find your passion as a leader, find your voice, find your stories, your way to connect with them and keep leading people, keep coaching them. The world needs it. I'm only one person and I have a small team and there's a huge mission and, and a challenge out there. So please do your part for humanity and keep bettering yourself and bettering those around you. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. MindSpark Podcast, your podcast to inspire change. Don't forget to dream big and have impact. It's a journey. If you like my work, you can leave me a good rating and share this episode with friends and colleagues or whoever would benefit from this MindSpark. And follow MindSpark on Instagram under mindspark.academy. Take care and see you for the next episode.